Hi there and welcome to Global Heart Church. Uh, I'm Jared Keane, the senior pastor, and wherever you are tuning in from around the world today, really, really hope and pray that in our planning of this message that it's going to really inspire you for the great journey that you are on and uh, for the great calling that you have in your own life. So enjoy the message and really pray that it's a blessing to you today. Okay, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to read from Matthew chapter 6. And we have been reading from Matthew chapter 6, 33, which is our passage for this year. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. But we're actually going to start right at the top of this chapter. We're going to do Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. And this is Jesus giving the Sermon on the Mount. Let's read this. It's going to come up on the screens for us. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honoured by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Verse 5, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I like this next part. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. There's a common theme throughout chapter 6 of Matthew, which is this idea of when you do things for God, unto God, uh, godly practices, do them in secret. And it encourages us that what no man sees, God sees. When we pray, do it in secret. Don't be babbling like pagans with their many words and out in the street corner to be seen. Do it in secret. It says when you give, give in secret and God will see. And this passage has less to do with encouraging around that you give or that you pray. It's really about how you give and how you pray. And it goes on to talk about fasting. And it's not even that you fast, it's how you fast. Don't make it obvious. Do it unto God. If you're paying a cost for Jesus in pursuing Him, don't do it to be known by people, to impress people. Later on in chapter 6, it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth. Instead, store it up in heaven. Again, where only God sees. Now we're going to jump ahead to Matthew 6.28. And it says this, And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Everybody say, seek first. Seek first. 
And verse 34 says, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Ain't that the truth? So how do we seek first, everybody? Across Scripture, the seeking of God first, above anything else, is encouraged and observed many, many times. And just a couple of Scriptures of note to read about this idea of seeking God. Deuteronomy 4.29 says, Oops, sorry, my iPad's just frozen. It says, But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find Him if you seek Him with all your heart and with all your soul. Psalms 9.10 says, Those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Psalms 14.2, The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. Psalms 119 verse 10, I seek you with all my heart in a beautiful combo with do not let me stray from your commands. Proverbs 8.17, I love those who love me and those who seek me, find me. And lastly, Jeremiah 29.13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Not a portion of my heart, but all of my heart. There's an encouragement from Jesus here on the Sermon on the Mount to seek God first and He will meet all of our needs. What's so interesting about this is that this encouragement in the Sermon on the Mount was given 2,000 years ago in a culture where meeting basic physical needs was a tremendous challenge and really the, the focus of everybody's energy and attention was eating, drinking, surviving. And I think that the realness of that challenge would have been felt more 2,000 years ago in Israel than it would have been in Australia in 2024. That's not to say that you and I don't face challenges around provision, but we've got to understand that here in the West, we are in a much more privileged position than they were back then. And yet Jesus still has the courage, the wisdom and the love to say to people who are desperately trying to meet those needs each and every day, hey, don't actually worry about them. And what's so interesting about the Word of God is because it is the Word of God, it is the inspired Word of God, supernatural book, you could read that passage, that encouragement and that challenge on any slum anywhere on the planet and its relevance would hold. Its eternal truth would remain no matter when you read that or where you read that. And what it's teaching us is that if you seek God first, He will meet all of our needs. This idea is revisited by the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, verse 10. It says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. Those other ones maybe hadn't received the newsletter. (laughs) Verse 16, For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. 
Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And verse 19, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. The question is for us, if I don't worry about my life, what I eat, what I drink and what I wear, pretty quickly I could be stuck in life, thirsty, starved and naked. And it's like, God, you wouldn't allow me to be hungry, thirsty, starved and naked for the sake of the gospel, would you? I'm pretty sure those words describe the disciples most of the time. (laughs) Hungry, thirsty, starved, naked, beaten. And even the Apostle Paul, when he's writing about the position that he's in, that he's grateful, he's content, he's not in a position of having more than enough. So what does this mean? It means that we do need to make a shift in our mindsets as believers out of a mindset of survival and into a mindset of service. That we live a life higher than those concerns. And I know what you're thinking, because I think this too. It's like, yeah, but I am concerned about those things. But there's an invitation from God to not worry about those things when we live under His Lordship and our life is truly seeking Him first. There is provision under His Lordship, but there is not outside of it. What our desire should be as Christians is that my eyes, my mind, my energy, my money is fixed on Christ. His Word shows us time and time again that He will give us everything we need to live under His Lordship. Matthew chapter 6, from the start to the end, really what it's about, it's about living a life of devotion to God. It's having a concern for His kingdom and the ways of God more than a concern for anything else. It's about any sort of practice, spiritual practice being done unto God alone. If no one ever saw anything you ever did again for God, would you still do it? Would you continue to serve God in the way that you are if no person ever saw it? This passage is about a life of devotion to one where the seeking of His kingdom and His righteousness in our life is number one and it's really about living life for an audience of one and that audience is God Himself. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Listen to this verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We're being cheered on by a great cloud of witnesses, but we're not even supposed to look at them. We're supposed to just continue to fix our eyes on Christ. An audience of one. If we get a revelation every day that when we wake up, I am living for God alone. It will affect where you look. It will affect where you receive your value and validation from. It will affect the decisions that you make. It will affect what goes on in your heart and in your motives. I don't know if you've ever been in a swimming race. I have, but never successfully. I was that kid that would be at the arena Joondalup sitting for six hours for one three-minute race. Any, any friends here? Amen. But I know 
with swimming, I experienced this once before where I dived in the water, the gun's gone off, I'm in, and if I want to see how I'm going, I need to open my eyes and have a look at the other lanes. Now, the problem with that is as soon as I look at the other lanes, I start heading in that direction. And there has been occasions where it has been the the 25-metre breaststroke, and I'm in lane four, heading at a good pace into lane three, and that's a problem. And often it's looking to see how am I going compared to others. Sometimes in racing or in in any sort of performance or in any sort of uh, test or challenge, sometimes our eyes can divert to the audience or the onlookers to see are are we receiving the applause that we may desire or to see are people looking at me and I don't want to be seen. And there's this wrestle that can happen in, in settings like that where we're concerned about being looked at, not being looked at. Who exactly is looking at me? Am I being uh, celebrated or am I being condemned or laughed at? Just another quick practical analogy to paint this picture is when I started learning drums in school, we used to have an end of term music recital and you would have everybody come in that's learning an instrument and their parents and you would perform a song that you've been learning for that term. And I naturally am like a competitive person and quite a prideful person and I love attention. I just thought they'd get that off my, my chest. <laughs> And so um, I put an unhealthy amount of pressure on myself for these performances. And my drum teacher at the time, she's a legend and I've kept contact with her. Uh, Miss Lush was her name and she was a fantastic drummer and, and actually a great teacher. But she used to encourage all of us students before that recital, she would say, hey, during the recital, if you're going to look anywhere other than your drum kit, look straight at me. It's like, okay, why would I do that? She's like, well, essentially, no one else can help you. Because no one else knows the songs. No one else has the sheet music. She's also holding the iPod, playing the music. But she knows what she taught us. She knows what it's supposed to sound like. She picked it based on my abilities. She can lock me back into time with the song that I'm playing. If I look at my mum, my mum's a legend, but she doesn't know what she's doing with drums. Sorry, mum. And my drum teacher used to say this. She was like, hey, if I think it's good, naturally everyone else will think it's good. Because the barometer for what's a good drum performance doesn't rest with my mum. Again, sorry, (laughs) mum. Rests with the drum teacher. Here's the interesting thing. She's trying to help me perform well, and she's the one grading me. And it's a bit like that with our life and God. We've got to just simply look to God for validation, for encouragement, for correction. Ultimately for you and I, it is only God and His Word that can get us back on track. It is only God who truly knows what it is you're supposed to be doing, how you're supposed to be doing it. If we get lost, He's the one that can get us back on track. He is willing us to a good race, to a successful life. What's so interesting? He's the one marking it. He set it out. He's watching it. He's cheering us on and He ultimately decides as the judge. An audience of one. We would know so many movies where the kid gets up to do the performance and they're, you know, it's a packed out auditorium. They've learnt the, the big dance or the big flute solo and they do a great job but they're disappointed and they're sad because there's that one person missing from the crowd. And usually in those movies there's that moment where the door opens and in comes the dad and then the kid's face lights up and the, you know, the, the nice music rolls in. And sometimes there's those movies where the one person doesn't come in. 
and, and it doesn't matter who else was watching, there's sadness because there was one that was missing. Yeah. What we need to know, everybody, is that we don't have to be in that position of being sad that certain people don't notice us if we get a revelation that God is always noticing us, that God is always watching and always sees us. The book of Judges, chapter 3, there's the story of one of the judges that God raises up and his name's Ehud. We don't know heaps about his life and, and a lot of his escapades. We just really know one, which is that he put to death an evil king, uh, which released the Israelites from bondage for a season until they put themselves back in bondage. They'd like to do that. And Ehud, his greatest victory, putting to death this evil king, nobody saw it. Not a single person. The room's empty. The only person, in fact, that did see it was the guy that he killed. So um, he's not going to to say good job mate um, he's not going to say awesome job God would be so proud of you you did it it's literally a victory for the kingdom the greatest thing he ever did with his life and nobody saw it nobody in person but God saw it God celebrated it we know that story because God saw it and inspired by the Holy Spirit someone put pen to paper recorded that story for you and I we love to celebrate that story of the widow uh, in the, the New Testament giving all that she had to God and uh, she didn't know that Jesus and the disciples were watching. <laughs> so it kind of defeats my point, audience of one, because they were watching. Anyway, she didn't know that. Yeah. She, out of her poverty, gave to God secretly and quietly yeah. all that she had. She had an understanding that God sees what I'm doing right now. Yeah. Uh, and even stories of integrity in Scripture, Joseph in the Bible, when he is serving in Potiphar's house, Potiphar's wife makes a sexual advance on him. And from what we understand of Scripture, no one's there to see that. And Joseph runs. He flees from that temptation. Uh, so fast, in fact, that it rips his clothes off. Uh, yeah, anyway. But Joseph then steps into a season of God's favour because of integrity that only God observed. Sometimes we're very good with integrity, maybe even purity, resisting temptation when there's an audience. What we've got to understand is there is always an audience and it's God. In those moments when no one can see, God can see and He'd like to set you up for a season of favour, perhaps where people can see. And often private victories will bear fruit publicly eventually for the glory of God. One more story in Scripture is with David. So David is anointed to be king. It's 12 years between him being told he's going to be king and actually becoming king. And all the drama in the middle has a, 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 a bit where, I nearly said a scene, it's not a movie, is it? It's a book. One of, the, one of the passages about this story is when David has an opportunity to kill Saul, the evil king in power at the time. And it's, it says in Scripture that all of his army were saying, today's the day that God has given Saul over into your hands. But David goes into the cave where Saul is and he decides not to put Saul to death. This is a moment that is, you know, observed by others, but it's a, it's a moment of private integrity for David because he could have done something to be celebrated by everybody or he could have done something to honour somebody and that is God. He made an integrous decision based on who he believed, uh, whose opinion mattered the most as it pertains to what he did. So everybody, we need to get a revelation that it is God and God alone who sees all, is the judge of all, and died for all because he loves all. And God is not watching you like a condemner. God is watching you as a loving father. He is observing your life as a loving father. And here's a picture I'd love you to leave with today, is that God is not just observing your life, 
just as a watcher, he is cheering you on. He is cheering you on into good works and into the life that he has called you to live. He is not watching you with a finger waving. I believe he is clapping and cheering and willing you to the good works, to follow his plan, to follow his word. No one wants good in your life more than God does. When we receive Jesus Christ, when we receive his free gift of salvation, we receive his righteousness, his good standing, his goodness, his holiness is placed upon us. And it's because of that, that from that moment before God, you have nothing else to prove. You are accepted by God because of Christ's sacrifice and his goodness placed on your life. It's the most accepting, affirming thing that can happen. And the most accepting and affirming opinion is God's. And when we step into salvation before God, we are the righteousness of Christ Jesus. It's exhausting trying to please people. Who's ever experienced that before? It's exhausting trying to please people, to earn people's approval. What is exciting for you is that you don't need to earn God's approval. You can receive His righteousness. And then we are approved before God. What if, what if from today, you did everything as though it was only God who was watching? What if you left church this morning and you lived your life thinking that only God could see what you were doing? How different would it look? Just in a micro version of that, think about what your social media would look like if you only had one follower and it was holy God. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? Who follows you on social media usually dictates what you post. And if you think about that, spread across your life and the way that you live, think about having just God observing and watching you and cheering you on into good works. Our lives would look very different. What if you did everything as though God wasn't just watching, but cheering? Some things I know would change is that I believe your peace and joy would increase. I believe your effort would increase. And I believe that your striving and your insecurity would decrease. Because you now live your life going, I'm accepted by God. If I'm not accepted by Terry, that's all right. (laughs) God is watching me, willing me onto good works. I'm going to give it the best that I can. I'm not trying to win the approval of people anymore. I'm approved by God and I can rest in that and experience some beautiful peace and some beautiful joy. Um, now, if you've had issues with attention-seeking and things like that, you would, this story would resonate with you, but this is for me. Um, have you ever wrestled with consistently thinking that everybody's looking at you? Now, some people do that out of an insecurity of like, I don't want anyone to look at me. Some people do that because they're maybe a little bit narcissistic or a little bit self-absorbed, and that was me. So, for example, I would be on choir on a Friday night at church, and I'd be up there with my black pants, my white shirt, my gelled hair. For some reason, even at 14, I thought all of church was watching me on choir, when in fact only one person was, and it was my mum. Genuinely would come out for choir like thinking everybody is looking at me. They saw me do that weird step. They saw me clap out of time. They saw me get the words wrong. It was this anxiety, but also this unhealthy desire that people were watching me. And I remember as I got a little bit more insecure in high school, high school can do that, got a little bit insecure in high school, and I used to play drums on a Wednesday night for youth. One of the most stressful parts of my week was coming out for 
altar call because someone would be preaching and giving an opportunity for people to respond to the gospel and all I had to do was walk from that hallway across and get into the drum box. you think it'd be easy. But I came out thinking every single person is staring right at me. Don't make a squeaky sound. Don't let your keys jangle. Make sure my shirt's sitting right. Make sure my fringes are crossed right. consumed with the thought that everybody's looking at me robbed me of an awareness that God was watching me. Imagine the peace I could have come out with if I was walking in that revelation. Because you know what I'm not thinking about when I'm coming out for altar call like that? I'm not thinking about there's young people here that can respond to Jesus. I could be praying for that. And so my inability to get a revelation that God was watching and my ability to accept everybody's watching me robbed me of real, a, a real missional thing that I could have been doing as a, as a Christian and as a leader. Make a shift. If this is if this is like if you're like me, make a shift from an everyone is watching me way of thinking to a someone God is watching me and the most important someone. And that is also true, not just of the watching, but of the judging. Sometimes we're like, everybody's judging me. Our concern should be, God is judging me. And I've got to live out of that place. Only God can truly judge our heart. We can also go from an everybody knows what's going on in my life. Everybody knows. We've got to be concerned with, hey, God truly knows. Making a shift from trying to be seen by everybody to getting into an awareness that I'm seen by God. Getting away from, this is a big one, I need to be liked by everybody to having a revelation that I'm loved by somebody and it is my creator. Not everyone's opinion should matter to you. Now, don't take this message to the extreme where it's like it's an audience of one. God doesn't mind about what I do here, here, here and here. And then you end up just being a bit nuts. Don't do that. We should have healthy people in our lives. God never does anything through someone in isolation. And we need leadership and accountability. And that is abundantly clear in Scripture. But not everyone's opinion should matter to you. God's opinion truly matters. And godly opinions from people around us. All right, three points as we get ready to wrap this thing up. Point number one. There are things we do because we think no one is watching. Number two. There are things we do because someone is watching. And number three, there are things we do because of who is watching. So number one, there are things we do because we think no one is watching. Now, one, one way that this can present in our lives is that we start to not care about what we do. We start to not care about our lives. We wake up each day thinking it doesn't matter what I do because no one can see me, no one is watching me, no one truly cares. It doesn't matter that I get up and go today. It doesn't matter if I try. That is a a lie from the enemy. God is watching. And as I said before, He's not watching with a finger waving. He is willing you on into the call of God on your life. God is our biggest supporter. 
Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do, whether in word or do, deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. No matter what you're doing, do it unto God. Because God can see it. And anything can become worship when it's consecrated to God. Getting up out of bed on time to have a productive, fruitful day, consecrate that to God. God can see it. Because God can also see it when we're on our ninth episode on Netflix at three in the morning and then we don't get up the next day and we're not fruitful at all, God can see that. He is cheering you on to say, just do two episodes and then come and spend some time with me in the morning. Let's have a fruitful day because God wants us to be fruitful, wants us to be a blessing. We can't be a blessing to others if we are underslept. That's just a practical tip. It's not, it's not in the Bible, but just saying Pastor Jordan says. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Galatians 1.10, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. We're living to please God because God sees us. He is watching and cheering us on. Number two, there are things we do because someone is watching. Just a practical example of what I'm talking about here. I don't know if you've seen the trend on YouTube where people do nice acts of charity for homeless people or people in need. And I think that's great. We need more people doing kind things for people in need. What I discovered though, a couple of people my age that do that on YouTube, specifically one, because I read an article about it and I digged in to make sure it was true. He bought a sandwich for a homeless person. And he gave the homeless person um, all of three seconds of screen time. And he had about eight minutes himself. And it was like, I'll just use the name Jerry. He's like, hey guys, Jerry here. We're out in the streets. We're going to do some kind things for some homeless people. And there's like a, a nice homeless gentleman met, like sitting there. And the guy's like, here's a sandwich, bro. Like, awesome, awesome. Peace out. And the guy's like, oh, okay. And then it's back to Jerry again. He's plugging his channel. Like, share, subscribe. I found out he made like, I think it was $38,000 off that video by giving away a $4 sandwich. And he was plugging all of his stuff like nonstop. And I thought, whoa. Like, and then I was like, I wonder if he did more. Of course he did more. He's making bank off doing some generous things publicly online. That's not a bad thing to do. I'm glad that guy had lunch. But I'm starting to go, ooh. Because this, this continues and it breeds and there's a whole ton of this stuff on the internet now where it is, I'm publicly doing something for someone because people are watching. Now, there is a chance, and I'll open to being corrected, that he does that in his spare time and doesn't upload it. There's a chance that happens. But there would be a lot of people where that doesn't happen. And it's this thing of like, I'm going to do good things because I am being watched right now. And we would know this in a, in a class setting. It's like, well, maybe you won't like me, but I'm act, running a mark, doing crazy stuff. As soon as I feel the teacher's eyes come over, it's like, I'm back to being just the, the ideal student. And it can also be the way that we come to church. We come to church and we behave differently at church because we think that God sees us clearer when we're in the building. It's like church has a sunroof and my house doesn't. But God can see you pretty clearly everywhere. And it's like when we come to church and we, we worship different, we pray different, we talk different, and it's like we can swear like a sailor all week and then we accidentally let one come out of church. And it's like you might not even be Catholic or something and there's all the stuff comes out and you're apologising to Mary as a stress. 
It's like, because I'm being watched by God here or maybe watched by the pastors, I'm going to be on my best behaviour. That, that way of thinking is very dysfunctional. You should be consistent across your life because what's consistent across your life is God's presence. It's God's eyes. God's watching us. Equally important with this point is that we need to do things for people that no one else sees. We must do that. It is critical for our attitude, our heart, our humility, our faith. We must do kind things for people that no one sees about. If you do something great for someone, don't post it. Don't have to share all that stuff. We don't have to do that. And equally true, if you're doing something for God, again, you don't have to tell everybody about that. You could be on a 40-day fast. And just keep it a secret. That would be awesome. Imagine how special that would be between you and God because you are doing it only for God. Nobody else knows. It's like those those times when you, like, like the widow, when you make an offering to God that no one else sees. There is something holy and special about that because the motive is pure. I'm not, I'm not dropping the coins in so loud that Pastor Luke goes, oh, $3.70, that was loud, you know, like whatever it is. I'm not, I'm not going to post online, you know, hey, I stepped out this week and gave and I just can't wait to see what God does. Everyone on social media like, oh, cool, man. Like, probably could have just kept that to yourself, but that's all right. It, we, we've got to do things for God and for people that no one else sees. Otherwise, we're revealing the motive that I'm doing this to be celebrated, doing this to be received, doing this to be accepted. When, listen, when you are under Jesus Christ, you're already accepted. You're already celebrated. You don't have to do any more of that stuff. Last one, number three. There are things we do because of who is watching. Now, if you're married or anything like that, you would understand this with the, when you have a romantic interest in your life, you do certain things when they're in the room. You behave a certain way. I remember when I was interested in Bianca and we weren't dating yet, but I was in hot pursuit. Uh, I wanted to, uh, to date Bianca. When she was around, I was like such a man of God. Eh? I was like a man of faith. I walked a little bit taller. My voice was a little bit deeper. I was opening doors for everybody, you know, like I was just being a legend, you know, buying people lunch and then afterwards being like, why did I do that? You know, I wanted, I wanted to come across like absolutely awesome. And uh, the same is true when we're trying to get in somebody's good graces. And, and this can happen too, like even with a parent. Sometimes you get busted by one of your parents. And so then after that, anytime they're around, like because you, you, you feel convicted, you feel embarrassed, you want to get back in, not realising that you're always in their good graces, right, with a, with a godly parent, but you're trying to be really good. So your mum comes in the room, you quickly start drying a dish or something like that. You start putting a T-shirt out, whatever it is. Um, and it, you know, when you're married too, if you're having an argument with your spouse or something, and then they're in the room, you start to do stuff extra because of who is watching. We, we, we be different, we try to make a good impression and we're trying to get into someone's good graces. And it's so, again, it's like that with God. Sometimes we have times where it's like, hey, because God is watching, I'm going to adjust this. But that's not a momentary thing. That is an everyday thing. It's an every moment thing. And what you need to know, that idea of getting it back into someone's good graces, you don't have to do that with God. You don't waver in and out of God's good graces when you are under Christ's gift. When God looks at me, He sees the righteousness of Christ. And I don't have to, when you know I'm at church or when I'm around the things of God or whatever it is, if I'm in God's presence, I don't have to quickly grab something and start to dry it, get back into God's good graces. I understand that, God, I'm always under your favour now because of Jesus. I'm always loved by you because of Jesus. And because of that, I'm just going to dry stuff. 
because I'm loved. I'm accepted. I'm not doing it out of fear. I'm not doing it out of worry. I'm not doing it out of concern that I would step out of your love. When we put our faith in Christ, everybody, we're made new and we're adopted into the family of Christ. We are called and we are accepted. The righteousness of Christ, the goodness of Him, His holiness, His worthiness is placed upon us. And what's great news for you and I is that if we didn't do another thing for Him, we still could not escape His love. Even today, if you leave church and don't do another thing for God, He still loves you. He couldn't love you more. He loves you so much. He is watching on. He's watching your life. And He is cheering you on as a loving Father, on into good works and on into your calling. If you are saved, if you're born again, you're under God's favour. He is pleased. However, He's not always pleased with our choices. Give you an example. My son Micah, absolute legend. Party on legs. I think he's Caitlin's 2IC in the crate. She's a champion. But when Micah was younger, he used to have a fascination with our dishwasher. I wish he'd empty it from time to time, but he loved to play with it. And I would often, whilst in the kitchen doing something, find him uh, pressing buttons, opening it, all that kind of stuff. So I love him. I couldn't love Micah more. He's an absolute champion. He will never be out of my good graces. He might be in timeout, but he's not out of my good graces. I will always love him, accept him no matter what. But when he does things like that, I get down on his level. I say, Micah, dishwasher is just for mummy and daddy, not for Micah, okay? Okay. Turn around, and then I hear that. Micah, mate, dishwasher, just for mum and dad. Do you understand? Yes. Okay. Back over here. Look back over. One time I found him in the dishwasher. And in a moment of frustration, I was tempted to run a quick rinse. But but that that picture, you know, I've had modelled to me by a, a godly father how to, you know, work in those situations. And I've observed godly dads in our church, like Ross and Pastor Luke with their kids, how to, how to interact with our child in this situation. You get down there, we try and teach them. And sometimes God finds us in the dishwasher where we will never be outside of His love and outside of His good graces again. But there's moments of teaching where He gets down onto our level and He's done that by Christ coming to the earth. He's given us His Word. He's trying to teach us. He's trying to help us. But the picture I'm trying to paint is that like me in that situation, I'm not accusing Micah. I'm not condemning him. I'm not saying because you've done that, you are not my son. Because you've done that, you've got to do this to get back in my favour and my good graces. That's not how it works. I can be annoyed by his choices, but still full of love in my heart for him. And that is God and you. God can be frustrated, unpleased with our choices, but he loves you. His love and acceptance should spur us on into living for Him, into living according to His Word. Knowing that I don't have to exhaust myself living for God's approval, I have peace in my heart. I can have rest in my soul. And when I've got God's approval really solidified in my heart, I don't need yours. Sorry to say. That's so freeing. And endeavour to be someone who is free from the approval of man because you are so aware of the approval of God. 
And how you do that is by faith, stepping into that relationship with Jesus Christ, receiving of Him, being in His Word, being in His presence, aware of God's love each and every day for you. Be set free from living for the approval of others by being aware of God's approval of you because you've received Jesus Christ in your life. Live for an audience of one. Don't leave today and live under the pressure of man anymore. Receive God's love, forgiveness and life today and be changed forever. So, Thank you so much for joining us online today. Really great to have you with us and special thanks to those also who give online. Your generosity is making the way for others to hear the message of Jesus both here in Australia and around the world. If you enjoyed today's message, I'd love to encourage you to share this message with a friend, a workmate, a family member. And let's believe together that it will powerfully impact their life for good in Jesus' name. If you're unable to be with us at one of our church locations, uh, both here in Australia and around the world, please join us online every Sunday for Global Heart at Home on YouTube. God bless and have a great week.